Hi everybody, my name is Landon Arenas, and this is episode 133 of the Vortex of Dating Podcast. Welcome to the Vortex Apologetic, where substance reigns over mindless entertainment. Because biblical truth matters in a profound, timely, and urgent way in a lost and dying world. And now, introducing your humble servants in Jesus Christ, Ricardo, a.k.a. B, Arenas, and Jeff, the Brain, Playboy. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another blessed day you've given us, Lord. And uh, Father, as we are recording in uh, this podcast, Father, first of all, we want to give thanks, Father, for this uh, Memorial Day that uh, we get to honor those, Father, that have fallen, Father, and, and during war, Father. Men and women, Father, that have uh, um, just uh, put uh, all effort, Father, into defending this country, Father. And a lot of them lost their lives, Lord, and we are grateful for the freedoms that uh, have come because of those sacrifices, Lord. We thank every uh, man and woman in the military, Lord. Thank you for their services, Father. And we pray that you continue to protect them, Father, as they continue to patrol um, the United States, Lord, and uh, thank you for uh, us being able to remember that, Lord, and keep them in our prayers and continue to remember, Father, the life's lost, Father, so that we continue with this freedom that we have, Lord, here in our country. Also, Father, I pray that as we move forward in this podcast, Father, that we can address um, just uh, the subject that we are going to be dealing with, Father. Let us be clear. Uh, let us be wise and discerning, Father, and be able to communicate, Father, the information needed, Father, so that pe- people can start uh, having uh, um, just an idea, Father, that when we pursue, Father, uh, information correctly, Father, and we look at the context and Scripture, Father, uh, it's a whole new way of seeing Scripture, Father, from the eyes uh, afresh, Father. And we thank you for the opportunity to give us. I pray for the brain, Father, as he speaks, Father. May the Holy Spirit work through him, Father, and uh, I as well, Lord. And thank you for this time you give us in this podcast. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Brain, how you doing, bro? Good, brother. I'm good, doing good. Other than, you know, the pounding headache and all the other stuff that's been going on today. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's Memorial Day. Yeah. And, uh... Hey, you served in the military, so thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate and that. And thank you for that awesome, great article that you wrote for a special day today. So... Folks, uh, you can find that at the vortexapologetic.com, our webpage under the blog section. A mm-hmm. uh, new article that my brother uh, wrote, and it's, it's, it's great. Thank you for that, bro. That was really good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah and we do remember those who um, fought for liberty and freedom Amen. and uh, gave their life in the process, and those who lost. Uh, fellow warriors uh, on the battlefield, those who came back but lost friends mm-hmm. on the battlefield, right. fellow soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen, um, all, all of the above. And um, it is a great sacrifice. And I think one of the things that I mentioned in the article was that uh, the military 
operates off of an honor code. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they, that there's laws, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, that uh, that governs the mil- military. But there's an unwritten sense of honor yeah. in the military. Uh, all of the pomp and ceremony of uh, the military uh, ceremonies and so forth. Right. There's a purpose and a reason behind all of that. And that is to, to project that sense of this is something that's unique, this is something that's very special, this is something that uh, sacrifices itself for a bigger cause mm-hmm. and for other people. Um, and uh, that there, this is something that should be honored. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's very important to remember when it comes to that. Now, one of the other things I mentioned in the article is that it's really a shame when unhonorable politicians send honorable uh, warriors into battle. Mm, yes. Um, when that happens... Um, it's a waste of our resources. It's a waste of those warriors. And it's it's sending them into something that they didn't sign up for. Mm. They signed up to protect the nation. Right. They signed up to fight for the liberation, mm. the freedom of other people, to like we did in World War II when we liberated people. We did not sign up, and I can include myself because I served seven years active and uh, six years reserve um, in two different branches of the military. Um, we did not sign up to nation build. Yeah. And we did not sign up to do the globalist bidding. We signed up to fight for liberty and freedom and to fight against evil. That's what we signed up to do. Yeah. And uh, so that's why the military and uh, those who have fallen should be honored on Memorial Day. Yeah. Thank you, brother. That was well said. Well said. And folks, if you know, if you definitely, I encourage you to read that article. It's uh, titled "Warriors and Caskets," mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great read. You get a perspective from my, my brother's per- perspective, and then it'll give you a biblical response as how uh, you know how we should honor the men in our military, the men and the women. And um, uh, now you said what percentage in the military? Very, actually see war? Actually see combat? Combat. It's mm-hmm. a very small percent. Very small. I would say 10% or less. 10%, wow. Okay. The vast majority of the military is support support personnel. Yeah, but 10% really are the only ones that will see combat. Right. Ah, good yeah. stuff. Good information. Yeah. Good stuff, my brother. Yeah. I'm glad we get to honor, you know, our men and women in the military, especially those fallen ones, you know. Right. That liberty is beautiful. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and it's yeah. because of uh, you know that those that have sacrificed their life for that. Right, Whew, right. God, uh... Now it's interesting. My dad was 101st Airborne. Okay, uh, he was in Germany during Reconstruction after mm. uh, after the uh, World War II okay. had ended. Um, I had uncles that w- that were in the army and went to Korea, mm. fought in Korea. Uh, my dad okay. during that time was in Germany. And then uh, I served in in Navy, active duty in the Navy, and reserve in the Army. And then, um, and I was Cold War veteran. I never saw combat, you know. But anytime you're anytime you go out on a ship with the Navy, 
mm-hmm. you're going in harm's way. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always a dangerous situation yeah. because we lost people even during peacetime. Mm. Because it's dangerous to work a flight deck. It's dangerous. Any ship is dangerous because you've got fires that, that, mm-hmm. that start up on ships. You've got uh, people. You lose people overboard. I mean, you've got. Uh, we, we, I think we lost two people overboard on the two deployments that I was on, and uh, one, mm-hmm. one chief had a heart attack and died. And so things happen. I mean, this is not wartime. This was Cold War. We yeah. were facing down the Soviet Navy at that time. We were mm. doing some pretty dangerous stuff. We were we were playing. We played chicken with the Kiev cruisers, Russian Kiev Kiev cruisers. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah, out in so. the middle of the Indian Ocean, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, so the yeah. potential for combat always, was always there. Right? There's always a potential for, and we never knew when something would start up in a heart in a heartbeat. Yeah. And uh, the ship I spent the most time on was an amphibious assault ship, and we carried Marines. And uh, we we one night one day we had a, a, a marine helicopter crash on deck mm-hmm. uh, as it was landing onto the, the deck, and uh, fortunately everybody survived. Wow! Every, all the all the marines survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the pilots survived it. Wow, so, that's amazing! Yeah. yeah, the pilots did a great job of bringing that thing back on deck safely because uh, it it. Started to take off and veered off to the side of the ship and went mm-hmm. down went down below the waterline. That's mm-hmm. always not a good thing. We thought it was going to crash into the water, and he was able to bring it back up and and bring it back onto the deck. Still had some damage mm-hmm. because uh, what caused the helicopter crash was a it was a double proper the blades on the top wow. and a big troop carrier helicopter and then uh, one of the blades came down and hit the fu- fuselage running along the top of the helicopter and it caused it to yeah yeah to, yeah yeah so so they were able to bring it back on deck and uh, i saw the damage to the helicopter I thought, uh-huh. oh my goodness you know <laughs> so it's like as it was just uh, god was with those fo- with those marines and uh, was able to take care of them so i mean they, and this was during peacetime wow doing normal operations yeah yeah, yeah so i mean i've been on board ships where we've we've had to fight fires on the ship and you never know when you're going to yeah. lose people fighting a fire on a ship, you know. Yeah. Uh, just Things happen. So, Question for you. Now, was that, did they fix that airplane or uh, aircraft? I mean, the, um, the helicopter? Was it able to get repaired and used again? It, it's or sad if it's something that crashes and it's that no good, do you just dump it in the ocean and just boom? Well, it's set in the hangar bay for the rest of the uh, deployment. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, don't yeah. know what, I don't know what they did with it once we uh, got interesting. back. But yeah, interesting. I would think, and especially in an aircraft carrier. Marine just, Corps, so. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. dealt with it, right? Yeah, they did that at the end of Vietnam. They were dumping stuff because they were trying to get people onto the ships and uh, they needed room they're gonna make room right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, that was a lot of equipment they dumped but anyway um so anyway that's just stories but i mean uh, the, but then what i was going to mention is uh-huh. my two kids that's right became combat veterans uh my daughter fought uh, with ta- what was called task force warrior Mm-hmm. In Afghanistan, they did uh, reconnaissance runs out of Bagram Air Base every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, nah. and then my son was 82nd Airborne in Iraq. They fought in Iraq. So they were there. They were in the middle of combat. So so my dad didn't see combat. I didn't see combat, but my kids did. Isn't that something? That is something. Yeah. Huh? It's like it skipped two <laughs> generations. Skipped two, skip two generations. <laughs> wow. Although I had uncles that saw combat in Korea. 
So you just, you know, you just, it just, yeah, it's, it's just, just it's, yeah, you're you know, right. I mean, it's, it, the, the number of people actually see combat is very, very small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Good stuff, my brother. Yeah. Well, awesome. That was great to hear. You know, I know yeah. you're a military man, and I think uh, some folks know, you know, we've spoken about your military background, and uh, we've told stories and funny things about it, and uh, during, during your, your time there. Uh, so thank you. You blessed us with that uh, little history there. Other than that, let's get into our subject matter, bro. Okay. Um, I know we, uh, last podcast, we kind of gave a summarized answer to one of the questions that one of our listeners have, mm-hmm. you know, brought up. And, um, here, let me bring that up again. Should have been more prepared than this. Jeez, I'm telling you. We, we prepare like and, five yeah, minutes ahead of time. <laughs> 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 Actually, we've been preparing for years. Yeah, you know, um, by studying the scriptures for many, many years, we've been preparing. But uh, that is true, right? Yeah, that's really the key. Um, be able to give an answer at any time. You know. Yeah, and you know what? Before we get into that, why is it important, brother, that we to be ready to give an answer? Uh, sometimes opportunities come and go, and they don't come back again. Right. Number one and number two, um, it's important. That it, it just demonstrates that we were dedicated to Christ. We 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 should know the scriptures, you know. Yeah. And we should not and not know them just based upon what other people are saying. Mm-hmm. Study them for ourselves. Mm. You know? That's huge. Yeah. That's big because we as you know as sinful men and women we tend to not want to. You know, go search ourselves, <laughs> right. right? We kind of go with what the information is given firsthand. Right. Well, that person said it. They have a pastor title before their name, or right. whatever, or doctorate. Right. They must be right. Right. Brother, can pastors and uh, the- theologians and doctors uh, with PhD degrees and all that can they be wrong? Yes, they disagree with each other all the time. <laughs> don't they? I mean, uh, yeah, they do. especially when it comes to eschatology, they're all always uh, disagreeing with each other, you know? Yeah. Do you think eschatology is, I mean, obviously, a lot of theologians disagree on secondary issues, you know? Uh, some, you know, salvific issues, you know, where they completely err on things. But eschatology, why is it that we are all over the place <laughs> in eschatology? I... I that's a good question. Uh, I, I think it's has a lot to do with we just kind of jump on the bandwagon with whatever is popular. I, I think one of the problems with eschatology began about 100 years ago when it became sens- sensationalized. Mm. And, and we stopped comparing Scripture with Scripture when it comes to eschatology. And we started comparing Scripture with the latest article in the newspaper, which would have been a hundred years ago, mm. today it's the whatever's put out on Newsmax or One American News or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or name any of the yeah. news outlets. Uh, we're trying to compare apocalyptic scriptures with current day events and say that they coordinate with each other. Or they're you know and 
this is a big mistake that we have made in eschatology over mm-hmm. the last hundred years or so, and that's confused a lot of people because there's a lot of different opinions, even concerning comparing it in that that vein, you yeah. know, as to what is what. What's you know, uh, like recently, people have been coming out and saying that the the uh, COVID uh, in, experimental injections, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, P and P, AstraZeneca, name whatever other one they come up with, they're saying, oh, that's the mark of the beast. And I hear that, and I hear that from people who otherwise are quite rational. Yeah. And put out good content. And I'm going, and I just kind of fall out of my chair and go, oh my goodness, Lord help <laughs> us. We are so confused when it comes to eschatology. Because yeah. it, you know, and there's nothing could be further from the truth. It's not even close to being any kind of a mark of a beast of any kind out of Book of Revelation or otherwise, right? <laughs> right. Because, and, and the reason that is so prominent is because, you know, with Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and some other writers during that time, that were trying to connect apocalyptic scriptures with modern technology. Mm. And they were saying, you know, the... Computer chip is a mark of the beast. You know, putting yeah. a chip in in uh, underneath your right hand or in your forehead or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. And then others were saying uh, that the barcode. Remember the scanners? The, the yes, going to the grocery store. That's right. It was in the seventies, eighties that became very and popular to 80s, say yeah, that that right. was that was the mark, the of, mark the beast. of the beast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, people were trying to show. Oh, see right here, there's six 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 in this barcode yeah. or whatever, and it's just. It becomes so convoluted and just yeah. sensationalized, and it and it's not even close to what the scriptures actually say about that. Yeah, <laughs> but so we're reading books that are written by people, and now it's watching movies yeah, about exactly. about the end times and all that. And we're just going by whatever the movie or the book says, and we're not doing our own. We're not really getting into what do the scriptures actually say and what do they actually mean. Right. And how is apocalyptic language actually used in the Bible? And if you take apocalyptic language, all completely literal, like it's mm-hmm. like it's physical, literal, real, you know, and not yeah. symbolic, not metaphoric. Your your view of eschatology is going to be so convoluted, so messed up, so <laughs> off the pe- off the page. I mean, it's just yeah. uh, it's going to be really con- you know it's, you go, you know, and this is where people start making predictions, and they start saying, well, based upon this, we see this, and and now I'm seeing people coming out almost gnostic like. Like they have some secret knowledge about the end days. Yeah, right. right have you seen right. that? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, oh no, you guys don't Special understand. Special knowledge. Yeah. There. No, you guys don't understand the tribulation. I got the thing on the tribulation. <laughs> yeah. and this is what's really going to happen. I'm just, I just kind of roll my eyes and I go, okay, maybe I can go do some gardening or something. <laughs> Get my mind out of this. <laughs> and I'm thinking about doing gardening and now I don't even have a you know a yard to do gardening in. <laughs> you know? It's funny. like, uh, I'm just like, oh my goodness, Lord, help us. You know, because we are so mm-hmm. confused when it comes to eschatology. Yeah. And so that's, the question came up yeah. out of Zechariah that you're trying to find. The question came out of Zechariah. Yeah. I got it right here. Mm-hmm. So uh, in order for us to give a, a more in-depth answer and 
not the summarized version, but I mean, get more into the context of uh, what the question. So the question was posted, and it, this one again came from episode 127, where uh, we touched on uh, eschatology. You know, <coughs> is it the end of the world? Is it the last days? You know, that sort of thing. So the question was posted by a Miss Docilione, and again, thank you for the question. Uh, we appreciate it very much. It says here, if what you are saying is true, when was Ezekiel's prophecy of the temple and land division and worship in the temple fulfilled? So it has to do with the temple. And the follow-up to that was, what of Zechariah 14, where even Egypt comes to Jerusalem to worship? So the main focus here, brother, it's going to be the temple, right? And uh, in Zechariah 14, right. we have... So we'll, we'll take one question at a time. All right, let's do that. Cause, and, and the reason we're re- revisiting this, because we really didn't do it justice the last time. Yeah, it was we, more of a summary, like a summarized quick... Uh, right, <laughs> we were trying to get through the podcast, because we're already at the end of the podcast when the question came up, and I don't feel like we did justice to the question. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe she deserves a better answer than what we gave her. Sounds good. So... Um, so the first one was had to do with the temple. All right. Now we have to look at the timelines, and you can jump any time you want, brother, because you're, you're very knowledgeable about this as well. Um, the four hundred ninety years, right? Yes. So um, that's Daniel's four hundred ninety years out of this prophecy, and everybody talks about that, and they talk about the seventieth year, and there's a this is gap between the sixty ninth and the seventieth year which is the church age, and you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Right. It's nowhere in Scripture that you can find that. It's just made up by dispensationalists because they have to have a gap because they can't identify the 70th year as being in the first century, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we can. <laughs> so, so, but, uh, so here's the timeline. Ezra returns to the land. After the Babylonian captivity, and I, I think the correct year is 480, no, it was 456 B.C., That's and this is going off yeah. my memory, 456 B.C., uh, Ezra returns back. Uh, he's, he builds the temple. That's when the temple gets built. Mm-hmm. That's the fulfillment of that, right. when Ezra goes in and builds that temple. That was temple number two? Yeah, I believe it was two. Two, yeah. The third one was the Jesus was uh, when Jesus was uh, prophesying about the temple coming down. Mm-hmm. That was number three. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. And so because um, that one was built later, because the one Ezra built was eventually tore down again because Israel kept rebelling. Anyway, <clears throat> so in four forty four BC. Nehemiah comes along and he finishes the wall, right? right? So Ezra tries to finish the wall, but Ezra gets, he's hindered by the Samaritans on, on finishing up the wall. And so he couldn't get the wall finished, but he got the temple built. Mm-hmm. So God used Ezra to build the temple, and that was the fulfillment of the temple being built. And then um, Nehemiah comes along and builds the wall, and that was, that was the fulfillment of Israel going back into the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that prophecy, not 1948. 
what? Not 1948. Brother, you want to get yourself in trouble? (laughs) You want to get us in trouble? It wasn't the Belford Declaration. No, (laughs) it was not. Yeah, I'm I'm already in trouble, brother. I've been in trouble for a while. (laughs) Um, No, it it was uh, uh, 456 B.C. Yes. When that was fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, But... That was the fulfillment mm-hmm. of of the temple being rebuilt and uh, the people going back into the land. Yeah, and God fulfilled all of the land requirements by the time Christ walked the earth. All of the land promises that God made to Israel had already been fulfilled by that time. Right, and there's plenty of passages in Scripture that talk about that. So, very uh, true. So that's the answer to. And so, is there more to that question? That uh, well, it was just had to do. That first part was had to do with the temple at that time, how you know the fulfillment of it, and then the second part of the question was the. Um, yeah, let me bring it up again right here. Uh, Zechariah fourteen. <laughs> what of Zechariah fourteen, where even Egypt comes to Jerusalem to worship? So let's go to fourteen there. So it talks about the coming in the day of the Lord. And uh, you want to just go through it, brother, or uh, you want to take part of it? Uh, let's jump in. Uh, we'll just run it together. How's that? Let's do it. So, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now, brother, let's begin with what is meant by the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord meant there was judgment coming. Yeah, because uh, anytime you see the term day of the Lord in Scripture, it's talking about God coming in judgment. That's right. So he cometh, and thy spoil shall, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now, that happened numerous times mm-hmm. in Scripture, including uh, once Revelation was completed. Um, I'm trying to burp here. Uh, Seventy A.D. Mm-hmm. Now, if you believe that <laughs> that the Book of Revelation was written in the eighty nineties, I recommend a book called Before Jerusalem Fell. Mm-hmm. By Jenkins, uh, I have the book over here somewhere. Do you see it, brother? I know it's Jenkins. Did you mean Gentry? Gentry, yeah. Gentry. Yeah. Kenneth right Gentry. Kenneth Gentry. I got mm-hmm. it right here. Oops. Fumble. Oh, just slipped mm-hmm. right on my hand. I fumbled on the one lot yard line there. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> football reference. Um, yeah, this book has all kinds of external and internal evidence uh-huh. that. Um, the book of Revelation was completed before AD 70. Yeah. I mean, he really lays it out, and nobody has been able to answer his arguments in this book. And uh, he's got, uh, let's see, let's see if I can find the titles. Oh, here we go. Uh, you got the preliminary considerations, the external evidence, the internal evidence, alleged uh, the menetic uh, evidences, uh, like uh, the role of emperor worship. Re- Persecution, Christianity, so forth, so on. He's got, he's got, talks about the seven churches, and he's got the conclusion. And, I mean, he does a great job of laying that out. Yeah. So we're going on the, on the conclusion that the book of Revelation was completed and published before Jerusalem fell, before the, the invasion of Jerusalem by the Roman army. All right. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rift, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, 
and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So Rome encompassed all the way from Britain, all the way down into northern Africa, and all the way out into the Arab lands. Um, so it was a huge area. It took out, it, it's, it's all of Europe was a part of Rome, mm-hmm. all the way out to the, Brit, to the British Isles. Um, northern Africa, and then, like I said, back all the way into the Middle East, into parts of Asia, Asia Minor. And so the nations did gather in 70 A.D. against Jerusalem. Right. Uh, and the army was actually sectioned up by the nations, according to the nations. And they were, uh, so every um, nation yeah. that was a part of the empire uh, had people in the Roman army. Yeah. So, so when you see all nations, that equals to Rome. It's Rome. Mm-hmm. It's Rome. Right. Because it's the fourth beast right. of Daniel's vision in, in uh, Daniel chapter 2. And also Daniel chapter 9 is, is it the fourth beast is, is Rome. That's right. And so that's the beast in, in, in uh, the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there, there are four beasts. There's, it was, it was uh, Babylon, Persia. Right. Greece and Rome; mm-hmm. those were the four beasts, and then um, there's no beast after that. There's no revised Roman Empire, which is what uh, uh, dispensational premillennialism has to invent a revised Roman Empire. Um, no, there's no revised. It's not America. It's not the European Union. It's none of that. It's Rome. It right. was Rome in the first century. Okay. Um, what we have today is the rock that crushed the image in Dan- Daniel's uh, vision, and that rock is growing into a mountain, which is the eternal kingdom of Christ. That's the church. Mm-hmm. And so what we have today is the church continuing to grow. That's right. We're in uncharted territory. Oh, yeah. Which makes it fun. <laughs> it does. It, no, it really does, you know? brother. I like that you said that, but it really does. Um, verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And he did. Sure did. Mm-hmm. He took Rome down, folks. Rome began to decline right after AD 70. As soon as Jerusalem went down and the, and the temple, the third temple was destroyed by Rome, mm-hmm. that, was, that began the decline of the Roman Empire. Yeah. And, and God, God was fighting against Rome. Why? Because Rome was, the problem with Rome is that you had to worship Caesar as the, a higher God than, mm-hmm. than God Almighty. You could have you could have your Christianity worship Jesus as long as you acknowledge that Caesar was a greater God than Jesus. That that was a whole problem, and that was idolatry. And of course, that was the Caesars lifting themselves up as gods, and the fact that also that God used them to judge Israel, which by the way, Israel in the Book of Revelation mm-hmm. is Babylon. Yep. That one will shock some people. <laughs> uh, it's not the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, folks? Yeah. Um, I know that's a popular one with the Reformers as well, the Roman Because, you know, that, that, that was the thing yeah. they were dealing with at the time. Right, was, especially, exactly. Especially right. at but that time. But historically, 
Because this is first century reference, and mostly the book of Revelation is first century reference, um, especially chapters 4 through, through 19. 19, right. Um, and well, well, actually, I should say 1 through 19. Um, uh, d- d- Israel was Babylon, and there's a number of times when Israel is referred to as Babylon. Because they were acting like Babylon, yeah. they were. I mean, that, not that they were literal, the literal empire of Babylon, but that they took on the characteristics of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Pharisees, how they acted toward Christ, how they said, "Crucify him! We'll take Barabbas, crucify him, and his blood be on us and our children." And our right. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, they, they paid. They paid a heavy price. For I don't that. think they knew you what know? they were. Put it, you know, putting themselves in, in exactly. that at that time. <laughs> so that's the first. And then this is what's hard for people to grasp. They think, oh, this is all future ahead of us. No, it was future ahead of the writers of the book of Revelation. Amen. That's right. Future to John. Future to the apostles. Not future to us. We're 2,000 years down the road. Yeah. The, the book of Revelation starts out, and I'll get back to Zechariah in a moment. With these words, and this is, and I don't know how people miss this. I think they miss it because of the, because it, it's just so ingrained in our heads that this is apocalyptic language for the future. Mm-hmm. The book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which means the book is about Jesus Christ, not about us. That's right, and not about apocalyptic events in our future. It's about Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, brother, what does shortly come to pass mean? <laughs> like, sometimes coming up, like, in the next, what, 365 days or less... Or a couple years, right? It doesn't mean 1,000, 2,000 years later. No, it doesn't. <laughs> if, if my wife calls and says, oh, I forgot something at the house. Can you run it out to me at work? You know, I need this for work. And I say, okay, I'll be there shortly. Right, immediately. I, I don't mean I'm going to be no. there 10 years from now. Yep. Right? I mean, this is very, very clear language that these things would happen during the lifetime of these apostles. And if we see at the, the text throughout the entire scripture, it talks about this generation. So if it was going to happen anytime soon, it was during their generation. That's out of Matthew 24, where Matthew he talks 24. about that all, all these things would be would not it, this this generation would not pass before all these things would be right. fulfilled and he's talking about all of the signs of the ends of end times right. right and that was so this generation not a reference to us a reference to them 2000 years ago and a generation was 40 years correct 40 years is a generation bit so even if it was shortly it was going to be within those 40 years shortly right so we <laughs> have the timeline of of 456 BC mm-hmm. If you add 489 years mm-hmm. to get to the 69th week, because it's, you know, um, it's seven-year blocks, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 69 times seven is the 489. You get to 26 AD. Yeah. Jesus 
has his pers- uh, public ministry right. at that point. And then you get another three and a half years beyond that, you're at the crucif- death, burial, and crucifixion of Christ. Mm-hmm. You go three and a half years beyond that, and you're at the day of Pentecost. You're at yeah. Paul being converted and on the road to Damascus, and you're at Stephen being stoned mm-hmm. for his faith. That's the end of the 70th week of Daniel. Right. This, the, the, it wasn't about the end of the world. It was about the bringing in of redemption. Yeah. That's what it was about. Yeah. It was about the end of the old covenant. Right. It was about the end of the temple, the end of physical Jerusalem, because physical Jerusalem had rebelled against God. Mm-hmm. The temple was no longer relevant because we are now the temple. Mm. The body of Christ right. is the temple. We're the last temple. That's huge. Yeah. The church is the last temple. And it's not a physical temple. It's a spiritual temple. That's right. That's right. Now, it's uh, glad that you're going through all that because, and folks, this is why we do this and we try to bring uh, more in, de- in detail information uh, that it's pulled right of Scripture. And the importance of understanding the context, the historical context of Scripture, is to understand, uh, you know, the language then, the culture, the timing statements, apocalyptic language, and the audience relevance. Right, brother? Because this is how we can misinterpret Scripture. Right. By reading it, you know, by tradition, or, you know, by not looking into the proper context, Mm -hmm. but just assuming... This verse, this verse, that verse means us because it's talking about a generation, not thinking that generation. Right. So, folks, that's that's huge. We need to, uh, you know, start thinking in that manner. The Bible was not ri- the Bible was written for us, but not to us. Right, my right. brother. Right. So that was uh, so. Verse two of Zechariah fourteen is a reference to the uh, the. Um, the uh, invasion of Rome. Yeah, the a- abomination of desolation. The, the abomination of desolation, which occurred in AD seventy, mm-hmm. and uh, Rome was taken. Uh, Jerusalem was taken down, and the temple was destroyed. That's that's verse two. Okay, Good stuff. Verse three. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. That's a spiritual fighting, a mm-hmm. spiritual battle, mm-hmm. not a physical. That's not physical. He didn't tell us to go and physically fight Rome. He didn't tell the Christians back then to go physically fight Rome. Yeah. He told them. He gave them the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Well, what took Rome down? The Great Commission. How did Christ fight against those nations with the Great Commission? That's how he fought against them. It's all about redemption. Now tell us, what is the Great Commission, brother? Go into all the world and teach all nations the whole counsel of God. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Amen. Christ, right? Amen. Amen. Teach all nations. It doesn't mean go go say a sinner's prayer with them and then move on. It says teach all nations. That means you got to go establish churches. You've got to teach them the word of God. You've got to give them the whole counsel of God. That's, that's the great commission. Hmm. Amen. That's why missionaries establish churches. That's right. Now, four. And his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives. Did Christ stand upon the Mount of Olives when he was walking the earth 2,000 years ago, brother? Sure did. He did. Mm-hmm. 
which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And they say, aha, we got you there. That mountain didn't split. Yeah. Oh, really? It didn't? Let's talk about mountains in apocalyptic language. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see where I was just looking earlier on uh, some references to mountains. Mountains in apocalyptic language are basically a reference to cities. Uh, earlier in the book of Zechariah, we see that uh, I've got notes marked here in the first few chapters. I just saw where I had a note that uh, Jerusalem is called a mountain. Um, so in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, I'll look at that one. So the angel that com uh, communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with the great uh, jealousy, and I am very sore displeased, displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So God is not happy with Jerusalem during this time. Uh, and this is this is really parallel to what was going on during that time when um, Christ was dealing with the Pharisees, and he was dealing with all of the other stuff, uh, and they, they were eventually taken down. Uh, I looked straight at it, brother. Now I can't find it. Yeah, I'm trying to help, trying to help you out here. I'll keep looking. Oh, here we are. It's in chapter eight. Is that okay? I was again, again. Uh, well, oh, in chapter six also. So Mount of Olives split into two mountains here, and mountains equal cities. That's my note. So and I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. Mm. Now, brother. Um, have you seen any mountains of brass around anywhere? Not really. I mean, any mountains made of brass? Any mountains made of brass. Right now? The only mountains made of brass that I see are if it's idols. <laughs> should, this should tell you it's apocalyptic language. It's, yeah, that it's, much. that it's metaphoric. It's not literal. Um, in the first chariot were red horses, and the second chariot, black horses. In the chariot? <laughs> and in the third chariot, white horses. And in the fourth chariot, grizzled and bay horses. Because that's a reference to the, the four judgments the of judgments, God. The judgments, that's right. And then... Uh, then I answered and said, so these are not little horses. These are representative of the judgment of God, right out of the book of Revelation. And right out of where um, it talks about the judgments of God, where it says that it's the, it's the famine and the beast and the, uh, right. the sword and the so. 
Mm -hmm. And then we have, Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens, which you go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses, which are therein, go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them, and the grizzled go forth, and so forth. So they're going through all of that. And he's talking about the, then verse 8, the quiet at my spirit in the north country. So he's talking about the north country, south country. He's talking about all that. And then verse 10, take of them of the captivity, even of of Tobiah and of Judiah, which are, if I start pronouncing a bunch of these words, I'm going to lose the audience because they're all going to start getting sleepy, Uh, which are come from Babylon. And Babylon at that time was a reference to Israel. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Babylon had already been destroyed by this time. And come thou the same day, and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, and so forth, so on. So you have that. Now, and it talks about the branch in verse 12. It says, take silver, of well, verse 11, take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Josiah, the son of Josedek, uh, the high priest. And speaking to him, saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, behold, the man whose Name is the branch. That's Jesus Christ. And he shall grow up out of his place and shall he shall build the temple of the Lord. What temple does Jesus build? <laughs> it's the one in, in 1 Peter 2, 5. That's right. It's going to take a lot to get through this, but we'll get through it. <laughs> First Peter two five is the temple that Jesus builds, the That's branch right. builds out of Zechariah, folks. This, I'm trying to teach you, ladies and gentlemen, that don't take this as physical. Take it as as it is, as a, as the Jew understood it, as symbolic, metaphoric language. I'm going to get to the mountain thing in a moment. Um, what did I say? First Peter. First Peter two, verse five. So I got all the revelation, didn't see First Peter. That's not good. <laughs> First Peter. Yeah, back five. it up there. Back I got to start up. pinching pages to get to it. <laughs> um, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That is the last temple. Mm-hmm. It's not a physical temple. Any, any more than the... Reference of the Mount of Olives splitting is a reference to an actual physical mountain splitting. It's metaphoric. Yeah. It's symbolic. Apocalyptic language is always symbolic. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. What's he talking about? He's talking about reconciliation through redemption. Amen. That's what that's about. And the crown shall be to Elamon and to Bions and the different names uh, for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are 
far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you, and this shall come to pass, if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then we had chapter 7, and he talks about, in chapter 7, talks about Darius, the year of the king of Darius, and uh, the things that Darius did. And then we got to we got to move on in quickly into verse into chapter eight to get to what we want. Darius into Babylon as whirlwind. He talked about scattering it as whirlwind in verse fourteen. And I I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. That's what happened in eighty seventy. Mm-hmm. Thus the land was desolate after them. That happened in eighty seventy that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. How long did it lay desolate? A long time. Very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to, to chapter 8, and then we're going to get to our answer. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion, and with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury, the, thus saith the Lord, I am, re, return, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Now, was Jerusalem, brother, a literal mountain? No. Then why did God call it a mountain? Because he was giving us apocalyptic language. Apocalyptic because they language. Because that's the way they understood it. That's the way they understood it. They understood apocalyptic language. They had their metaphors like we have our metaphors. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They had their idioms like we have our idioms. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we come along 2,000 years later and we think we know more than the Jews did. Oh, yeah, we turn it physical. You know, that, that, yeah, we make it physical. Well, whether the actual Mount of Olives is actually going to split. No, that's not what it's talking about. I'm going to get to an explanation of it. I'm trying to find it real quick. I, had, I was reading it last night out of uh, Last Day's Madness by Gary DeMar. He had a great explanation of it. And so why don't you go ahead and run with some of your thoughts, brother, while I'm looking for that, because I know you have some thoughts here. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, in talking about the spiritual side of things, <clears throat> and the reason why, you know, again, uh, I just mentioned that that's the way they understood it. Again, it's their culture, the way they communicated, the way they saw things. They were very much a visualing type of audience. So a lot of the apocalyptic language was because they had to visualize things. And that's the way they understood it. So when the language spoke enough in scripture, it was because it was written to that audience back then. Because it's exactly the way you understood it. Like my brother was saying, it was the idioms the way we understand our own idioms, they understood mm-hmm. theirs. So when we try to directly translate to our own language the way we think 2,000 years later, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to fit. Right. It, it's just, I mean, it, it's... The, the literal part of it, as literal as we want to take it, it's just going to be an impossible thing to try to fit. Right, brother? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, therefore, we need to educate ourselves in a way 
to set our minds in that time period uh, when you know the apostles were preaching the gospel when Christ was came uh, into the world during his ministry because he spoke exactly the same way mm-hmm. that it was spoken of in the Old Testament right. and the application of it again when he was talking to that generation soon you know shortly after it meant to that generation so when we apply the different prophecies that were fulfilled during their time, it works perfectly. It's all needed net, net, together, netted together to the closing of the Old Covenant and the start of the New Covenant and the fall of the Temple where it's sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. Right. And that covenant, it's in men's heart. You it's a spiritual kingdom we're living under now. Right, spiritual kingdom. We can't have a future physical Temple because that would be an abomination. Yeah, it would be a, it would be a, a slap in the face of Christ. It, basically, the Bible says we, we open no. open uh, uh, you know, bring them to an open shame. Right. I mean, don't we hear rumors of a fourth temple now being built, brother? Yeah, and if it is built, uh, God will destroy it because it's it's it is antichrist. Yeah. To do that. Yeah. He, right. he won't. You think you think God is going to be sweet and kind and nice to those folks that do that? No. <laughs> They're mocking Christ Yes, in the process of it. Alright, let me get down to uh, here's what he had to say. Um, here's the quote out of Zechariah 14.4 And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split to in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. Mm. So that half of the mountain will will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. It is this passage that dispensationalists use to support the view that Jesus will touch down on planet earth and set up his millennial kingdom. Of course, one of the problems in making Zechariah 14.4 refer to Christ's second coming, I think it was his first coming, is the absence of any reference to him coming down Mm. but let's assume that Jesus' coming is implied how else would Jehovah be able to stand on the Mount of Olives numerous times in the Bible we read of Jehovah coming down to meet with his people in most instances his coming is one of judgment in no case was he physically present that is correct mountains like sun mountains like sun, moon, and stars, are often used to represent tribes, nations, and kingdoms. Mm-hmm. For example, Israel is depicted as a mountain in Amos 4.1. Yeah. You want to look that up, brother? Yeah. Let me look up. Zechariah 4.7, which I just read. All right, Amos, where are you hiding? <laughs> Uh, we have John 4.21, if anybody wants to look that one up. I'll go to John 4.21. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. It's mm-hmm. referred to as a mountain. That's right. Did we say Amos 4 what, brother? 4, chapter 1. Um, chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1, right. Yeah. It says, hear this word, you cows of uh, Basham, 
who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Right. And then uh, Revelation 8, 8 and Revelation 21, 10, a couple other references. Good stuff. Can we read 8, 8? Mm-hmm. Revelation 8, 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. That is Revelation 8, verse 8. Mm-hmm. And what was the second one, brother? Revelation twenty-one ten. Twenty-one ten. Mm-hmm. And twenty-one ten says, "And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God." Spiritual. <laughs> right, right. And so here's the rest of it. The symbolic nature of mountains comes from the Apostle Apostle John's Jewish heritage. Mm. John was a Jew, and the book of Revelation must be interpreted with one eye on the Old Testament, not one eye on the the one-eyed monster television with the newscaster. Okay, (laughs) The book of Revelation is the most thoroughly Jewish in its language and, and imagery, Mm-hmm. of any New Testament book. This book speaks not the language of Paul, but of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Mm. In the Old Testament, a mountain was often a symbolic reference to a kingdom or national power, and that's true. The prophet Isaiah wrote of a time when the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Oh. And that's Isaiah 2.2. 2. Could you take a look at Isaiah 2.2, 2, brother? Yes, most definitely, brother. Isaiah 2.2, 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. So Egypt, going to Jerusalem to worship later on in the chapter, is the nations flowing to it. Flowing to it, yep. In other words, to the church, the final temple, the Mm -hmm. final Israel is the church. That's right. Israel would go to the church to worship. Right. That's That's the reference. Uh, this we really get confused because we yeah. don't understand the language. In the Old Testament, a mountain was often symbolic reference. Where I read that, okay. In Jeremiah fifty one twenty five, God issued a stern warning to the nation of Babylon: "I am against you, a destroying mountain, you who destroy the whole earth," declares the Lord. "I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you off the cliffs, and make you a burned out mountain." So often he spoke of Babylon as being a destroying mountain, metaphoric language, yep. not a literal mountain. 
the prophet Daniel saw a vision in which the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That's Daniel 2.35. Remember that mm-hmm. Daniel had the dream of right. he had the head of gold and the shoulders of silver and all that. And then right. you get down to the feet of uh, clay and iron and all that, right? And then a big rock comes and crushes it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the church or the kingdom of God crushing Babylon, Greece, Persia, and Rome. And Rome. Mm-hmm. And, and, but they weren't actually there then. The whole point is it's crushing that entire system. Yeah. It's a system that the church is crushing. It's a satanic system, right? We're still crushing it today. And uh, we, we could get into that, but that might take a while. <laughs> so moving right along. The prophet Daniel saw a vision in which, so I read that, okay. What did the mountain symbolize? Because it, it, it goes down, it crushes the, the, those, those uh, empires, right? The church crushes those empires and then fills the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So the church is referred to as a mountain. That's right. It grows into a mountain. So what did the mountain symbolize? In the time of those kings, the church, or the God, excuse me, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, Mm. nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. And that's the kingdom we're in today. Amen. You say, but I don't feel like I'm in a kingdom. There's still evil in the world. You're looking at the physical world. That's the problem. It's a spiritual kingdom. And eventually, the spiritual kingdom will overcome and rule over the physical kingdoms of the world. That's coming. That's going to happen. And I believe we're in a transition period today of that starting to Mm -hmm. happen. We're on the tip of the iceberg of that beginning to happen today. But that's what will happen according to prophecy. Now, not not all the other stuff that people are saying. Uh, Jesus describes Israel's judgment. Oh, let me go back. Um, in 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 the time of those kings, God of the God of heaven will set up a kingdom and will never dis- won't be destroyed. It'll crash all the other kingdoms, and that's in uh, chapter two, verse forty four of uh, of Isaiah. The Old Testament uses the figure of a mountain to refer to a kingdom. Uh, Jesus describes Israel's judgment in terms of a mountain being taken up and cast into the sea. Hmm. Right? Right. And that's Matthew 21, 21 and Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus delivered his judgment, his judgment discourse concerning the destruction of the temple from the Mount of Olives in hmm. Matthew 24 through 25. There's your fulfillment. Yeah. Of the mount splitting. Notice how many times God's coming is associated with mountains. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's Exodus 3, 8. Was that Mm. fulfilled, brother? Mm. Yes, it was. Did God physically come down? (laughs) <laughs> you betcha. 
Physically? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. I was about to say, uh-oh. I know. <laughs> Throw you off. Here's a Nehemiah 9, 13. Mm-hmm. Then thou didst come down on Mount Sinai and to speak with them from heaven. Mm. Now, was Nehemiah 9, 13 already fulfilled, brother? Yes. Did God physically come down onto Mount Sinai? No. Hmm. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch the mountains that they may smoke. Psalm 144, verse 5. I don't think we need an explanation on that. No, we don't. (laughs) For thus says the Lord to me, as the lion or the young lion growls Mm. over his prey, against which a band of shepherds is called out, will not be terrified at their voice, nor disturbed at their noise, so so will the Lord of hosts come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill. Isaiah 31, 4. Pass fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did he physically come down? <sighs> no. He talks about coming down in the judgment against Assyria in a passage. Uh, did he physically come down and personally fight against Assyria? No. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence. Isaiah 64, 1. <laughs> When, th- when thou didst awesome things which we did not expect, thou didst come down the mountains, quake at thy presence. Isaiah 64, 3. This is apocalyptic language, folks. It doesn't yeah. mean he physically walk, comes down and sets his feet, his actual physical feet, okay? In Micah 1, 3, we are told that God is coming forth from his place to come down and tread on the high places of the earth how is this descriptive language different from the Lord standing on the Mount of Olives with the result that it will split? Micah says the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. And that's talking about a prophecy that was already fulfilled. It was not uncommon for prophets to use Figurative expressions about the Lord coming down, mountains trembling, being scattered, and hills bowing. Habakkuk 3, 6, and 10. Mm-hmm. Mountains flowing down at his presence. Isaiah 64, 1 through 3. Mm. Or mountains and hills singing and trees clapping their hands. Isaiah 55, 12. Are you getting it, guys? This is metaphoric language. This is apocalyptic language. This is how God speaks. Isaiah 44, not 44, but chapter 40, 40, verse 4, is descriptive of earth-moving events that did not literally take place. That's right. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. <laughs> We're looking at each other like, well, I think this is pretty conclusive. I mean, it makes for yeah. great television, great movies, you know. 
great Very CGI action, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would be sitting there like, whoa, look at the valley just lifting up. That's pretty cool. Right? Yeah. yeah. But, but that's not, that's not the case. <laughs> the New Testament specifies how we should interpret these verses by applying them to the coming of Christ. Christ's coming is precedent. Precedent? Precedent. Let me try it again. Christ's coming is preceded oh, by... Preceded. Yeah, I messed it totally up. Uh, by every mountain and hill being brought low, Luke 3, 5. Mm. Okay? His coming is preceded by every mountain and hill being brought low. The nations and the towns? The <laughs> cities and the towns? Right. Was there a major realignment of the... Topo- the topography of Judah when Jesus came on the scene after the announcement of John the Baptist? Talking about his first coming. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Was any mountain or hill made low and yet the prophecy was fulfilled in the first century? So, yeah. We need to kind of catch how the language was used and what was meant by in the Jewish culture by what mm-hmm. what was being said. What is the Bible trying to teach us with this descriptive language of the Mount of Olives split in its middle? The earliest Christian writers applied Zechariah 14.4 to the work of Christ in his day. Mm. Tertullian, A.D. 145 to 220, I have Tertullian right up here, brother, mm-hmm. uh, wrote the following. But at night he went on. He, I'm sorry. But at night he went out to the Mount of Olives, for thus had Zechariah pointed out, and his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. Tertullian was alluding to the fact that the Olivet prophecy mm-hmm. set the stage for the coming, the, for the judgment coming of Christ that would once for all break down the Jewish-Gentile division. Mm. I thought that part was excellent in this explanation. Matthew Henry explains the theology behind the prophecy in this way. The partition... Now, this is Matthew Henry that everybody loves to use, right? The partition wall between Jew and Gentile shall be taken away. The mountains about Jerusalem, and particularly this, signified it to be an enclosure and that it stood in the way of those who would approach to it. Between the Gentiles and Jerusalem, this mountain of better of the vision stood. Hmm. And, uh, but by the destruction of Jerusalem, this mountain shall be made to cleave in the mist. And so the Jewish pale shall be taken down. And the church laid in common with the Gentiles, who were made one with the Jews by the breaking down of this middle wall of partition. So that should answer the question of Egypt coming and worshiping at Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Right. That is a representation of the Gentiles being included right. in the church. Right. Because remember, the church started out just as being Jews, mm-hmm. and the Gentiles were, in, were excluded. Right. The Gentiles being coming into the church that broke down that partition. And that's the splitting of the Mount of Olives. 
that is the fulfillment of Egypt coming into worship to Jerusalem. Not physical city of Jerusalem, which was destroyed by the Roman right. army. New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is the kingdom of God. It's the church. Yep, that's spiritual kingdom. Yeah. You will notice that there is no mention of a thousand year reign following the presence of Jehovah on the Mount of Olives. Mm. While we are told that the Lord will be king over all the earth, this does not mandate an earthly millennial reign of Christ. This language is neither new or looking or forward looking. For the Lord Most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. This is exactly what happened with the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, if we continue on in Zechariah 14, we'll just go ahead and read through the chapter. I'll see if it makes a little more sense now. So, we'll go with verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, metaphorically speaking, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel, yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now you got to go back and look what happened with Uzziah and king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with him. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. This is, this is not talking about physical evening becoming light. Okay, you got to remember, this is all metaphoric language. Mm -hmm. This is talking about the light of the gospel taking out the darkness of evil. Amen. And, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. What did Christ tell the woman at the well about living waters? He was. Yeah. Living water. I will give you living water. I will give you living water. Right. Do we have living waters today, brother? For those that put their faith and trust in the Lord, yes, we do. And how does that flow out of Jerusalem? That flows because of the dead, bear, and resurrection of Christ. But how does that connect to Jerusalem? That's the question. That's going oh, to how does it connect to yeah. Jerusalem? Yeah. Uh, it connects in the way that uh, the prophecy being fulfilled. Meaning that in Jerusalem was fulfilled, meaning the church established, and the, the Great Commission taking place. Yeah, you have to go to Revelation 21 to kind of answer that question, don't you? Yes, you do. Um, and it answers it. Was it 21 or 20 I'm thinking of? 
thought it was 20. 21. 21. 21. Yeah. Here's, here's what flows out of Jerusalem. Right folks. there. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, which is the new covenant, folks. Mm-hmm. The new heaven and new earth is the new covenant, not in the verse of the old covenant. For the first, um, where am I? For the first heaven and first earth were passed away. That's the old covenant. Yes. The old covenant passed away already. And there was no more sea. That's the Gentile nations. Mm-hmm. Anytime you met, see that, sea is often mentioned in in uh, as a metaphor for the nations. Right. And which sea are they talking about? They're talking about the Mediterranean Sea because the empire, the empires were always around the Mediterranean Sea. Right. Right. And um, the Mediterranean Sea held the Gentile nations, so it was often referred to. They were often referred to as the sea. That's the reason for that. Now. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who's the bride? The church. Is the bride of Christ, right? Amen. So the New Jerusalem is the church. The church. It's the, the bride, bride of Christ. Of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Which tabernacle? The fourth one, mm-hmm. the 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 one that we read about in First Peter two, right? That's right. Where we are holy priesthood, we are the tabernacle of God. That's our right. bodies are, you know, are given our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? As, and mm-hmm. we are priest of God, and we are the tabernacle of God. The church is the tabernacle of God. The New Testament church. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Are we his people today, brother? Yes, we are. And and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Does he wipe away the tears of sin from our eyes, brother? Yes, sir. And there shall be no more death. Are we are we gonna die spiritually, brother? Nope. We die physically. We die physically, but spiritually, yeah. we're made alive. Right. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, it doesn't mean we won't physically cry, we won't physically feel pain. This is a, got to remember, God thinks on the spiritual plane. Yes. And this is a spiritual reference. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Did Christ make all things new? Yes, he did. Behold, you're a new creature in Christ when you're in Christ, right? Yes. Corinthians, what, Second Corinthians 5.17? Yep. And he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. What's done? Woo! Redemption. Redemption. That's it. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, did mm. we have to wait sometime in the future for that, brother? Uh, no, we don't. We have it now, don't we? We have it now. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, which is, we're all in the tribulation. 
mm-hmm. which occurred 2,000 years ago, right? Yes, it did. And talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, are we still waiting for the bride? Uh, no, we're not, brother. Is the bride here now? Yes, it is. Has it been here for 2,000 years? Yes, it has. Yeah, it has. <laughs> and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Uh-oh, wait, there's the mountain again. Ooh, talking about the mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. There it is. That's the Jerusalem that will flow, it will flow out of, folks. Mm-hmm. Don't get confused. That's the Jerusalem it will flow out of. Having the glory of God and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Now, when I was a young Christian, I was taught that this was an actual physical city physically coming out of the sky and landing on the earth. Same here, bro. (laughs) Well, imagine our shock when we found out that's not the case. This is a metaphoric reference to the church if you are shocked right now that's exactly how shocked we were <laughs> that's why yeah well, well we'll explain further and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of israel that's right so the gates were the 12 tribes now were the children of israel actual physical gates brother no. They were people, right? They were people. Okay. I was just checking. I want to make sure. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Now, when you're looking at the Old Covenant temple, which was or the tabernacle that mm-hmm. was put up, what was camped around it? The 12 tribes. In what format? Uh, the gate format. Yes, there were three, three per per side side on the gates. Yep. Oh my goodness! How did we miss that? It's like right, and you can go blown. and look in uh, in the old covenant books and see which which ones were camped on what side. It tells you exactly. Yep. Yeah. Where was I? Fourteen. Okay. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. Oh, here we come. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, are the 12 apostles physically holding up a city, brother? No, because they would be crushed if they were in <laughs> trying to. Man, you're talking about, they'd be stronger than uh, I mean, Samson, right? I, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I only think of it as Samson, yeah. but yeah, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, this is a metaphor. They're the, so the 12 foundations are 12 apostles. So here's the church. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth, get this, four square, and the length as is, is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city and the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So you have the length, the breadth, and the height. So you have mm-hmm. 12,000 furlongs, or 12, the number 12, times 3. Because it's three different ways. Oh, you right. actually got a cubit. You got a cubit, bro. Cubit. That's cubits. That's, you know what I'm thinking about now, brother? Since mm-hmm. we're reading that part there, the 12 stadia, 
you know, we always talk about numbers. Right. 12, 12 tribes, 12,000, right? Right. right. Now, Symbolic, 144, right. 144,000. Right. That's where I was going. Symbolic. That's exactly where I was going. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and 4 cubits, according to the measure of man that is of the angel. So the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation are not a, a physical, literal 144,000. It's a symbolic number representing mm-hmm. the church. Every believer, both in the Old and the New Covenant. Yep. That's what it symbolizes. And the final redemption. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's better than anything I've heard from any prophecy teacher. Yep. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto uh, clear glass. Now, there's a symbolism behind these jewels, mm-hmm. and I've wanted. I've always wanted to do a study on what's what's behind these jewels. But anyway, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second sapphire. The third chalcedony. The fourth emerald. The fifth sardonyx. 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 Anyway, uh, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystal process, uh, I don't even know what that is, the eleventh uh, adjacent, <laughs> and the twelfth an emerist. Am- amethyst? Am- amethyst. Amethyst, yeah. It's something they understood. Anyway, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, pearl of great price. Mm. Every several gate was one pearl of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. What did Christ say about gold? That you have to purify it. Purify. Right? Mm-hmm. And gold was representative of us being purified in our lives, right? Yes. And I saw no temple therein. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And who's in Christ? We are. We are. We're the temple. Mm-hmm. Jesus yes. Christ is the temple. Yep. And the city had no need of the sun. Now, not the physical sun is it talking about, okay? Mm-hmm. The sun is the Old, Test, uh, the old Covenant Israel. Right. That's, That's right. right out of Joseph's dream. The sun and moon and star bowed down to him and he told his family and they and they said we're not bowing down to you you know it's uh, yeah. the sun representing his dad the moon his mother and the stars the 12 tribes his, his brothers so this is what this represents no need of the sun israel no need of the moon jerusalem, jerusalem. old mm-hmm. old jerusalem to shape to shine in it okay for the glory of god did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof this is all about the old covenant system being taken down, the yes. system of animal sacrifices, the simple the the, the uh, system of the temple sacrifices, and all of the ablation, all of the uh, you know the the old covenant uh, holy days and all that. That whole system being taken down. Why it's not needed anymore? Yeah. Christ is now the temple. Uh, 
and the city had no need of this. I read that. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. That's Egypt coming into Jerusalem out of Zechariah 14. Amen. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory. Why no night, brother? What does night represent? Darkness. There's no darkness. No more darkness. No Mm -hmm. more darkness in the body of Christ. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. New Jerusalem. That's the Jerusalem that Egypt walks into. Amen. To answer the question. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that dwelleth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, so forth, so on, right? Maketh a lie, uh, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. No one comes into the eternal kingdom of God, the church, the bride of Christ, unless they enter through the door of Christ by becoming a new creature in Christ. Amen. That's <laughs> The book of Revelation is doctrinal. Extremely doctrinal, yes. yes. So when you go back and look at Zechariah, it totally changes the, our view of chapter 14. Mm-hmm. It sure does. Because we see in that day, in that day living waters shall go out of Jerusalem. Well, yes, the church. Mm-hmm. Living waters coming out of the church. The preaching of the gospel. That's what that's a reference to. Amen. That's the living water. Everybody thinks that's physical water. Physical water is not, that's the water that, that, that the woman was bringing out of the well to give to Christ. Christ said, I'll give you living water, not that physical water. Yeah. <laughs> you get it, folks? It's metaphor. It's a wonderful message. And the Lord, let's see, where am I? We're almost done. <laughs> oh, uh, verse 9. No, verse. we'll finish verse 8. Uh, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. In other words, it's, it's, it's living water is going to flow everywhere. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. He is today, folks. We're not waiting for him to be king. He's already king. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. All right, is that currently fulfilled? Yes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. 5. Mm-hmm. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. <laughs> That's right currently fulfilled. Oh boy, that gives us a timing statement right there. Big time. If that's currently fulfilled, that means all the rest of it has to be also be currently fulfilled. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Giba to Rim, Rimon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel unto the king's wine presses. And the men shall dwell in it. And there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. After AD 70, I would imagine that is. Oh, yeah. This shall be the plague, and that means, remember, we've been talking about New Jerusalem. Yeah. And all this is metaphor. 
the Jerusalem that's going to be dwell safely is the New Jerusalem. Yeah, and that's exactly what Lynn is referring to. It's not about that physical land over there. <clears throat> it really isn't. But who's occupying that physical land? Believers. That's right. Today, that believers are occupying Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. That's disease, folks. Famine. That's famine, that, and that's a disease. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Some people try to say, oh, that's nuclear war. No, it's not. That was fulfilled, first century. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. That was occurring inside the walls of Jerusalem yes. when Rome had them under siege from 63 to 70 A.D. Mm-hmm. Read Josephus. He tells you all about it. Great tribulation. Yep. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall the plague of the horse and the mule and of the camel and the donkey, I'll use our modern world word for that, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. Beast in tents? It's a reference to the army. Yeah. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. Oh, now, what? What? Those that, what? Can, can you read that again, brother, for me? This is the ESV. The interpretation of that, but it says, verse 16, And everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king. The Lord of hosts and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. How do we keep the Feast of Tabernacles today? We are the tabernacle. We are the tabernacle. We worship. That's how we keep it. Yep. Yep. That Mm. means that those armies... That went in and destroyed Jerusalem and the mm-hmm. temple. Many of them became Christians. Woo! Check those apples out. Yep, that is so true. And if the family of Egypt not go up and come not, Egypt represents the world, folks. Mm-hmm. Have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen. They come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations. They come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles in Old Covenant economy is representative of redemption. It's representative of the Tabernacle of God today, which is the church it doesn't mean to go out and actually start keeping the actual feast of the Old Covenant tabernacle. Remember, all that's gone. Yeah. 
what it's telling us is we become the tabernacle. That's right. Right out of Second Peter or First Peter, right? Go read First Peter. We we are the tabernacle. If you want to understand these passages, you got to go to New Testament to understand them. If you want to understand the New Testament passage, you got to come to these passages to understand it. They interpret each other. In that day, shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowels, the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. New Jerusalem. New Judah. Right? Yes. And all they that uh, sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So what sacrifice do we sacrifice today, brother? What sacrifice do we sacrifice today? Make your bodies a living sacrifice. Denying ourselves. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. And follow Christ. And follow Christ. Exactly. Once you put your faith and trust in the Lord, <laughs> repent of your sins, you're part of the church. <coughs> yeah. Your accepted son. Daughter of God, the high priest. You have to get out of the uh, mindset, folks, that the church is a parenthesis between two time periods. It's not. Yeah. There is no gap between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. That's right. No gap exists. The tribulation spoken of by Christ occurred 40 years later. Yes. That generation. Mm-hmm. 33 A.D. to 70, and it, it, well, 33 A.D. to 63, and yes. then the, the seven years to 70. Right. And um, it's it's a perfect fit for what Scriptures is talking about. Yes, it is. And it's all about redemption. The end times is not about the end of the world. The end times is about the end of the old old covenant um, yearly sacrifices, the old covenant system, and the bringing in of redemption in the new covenant. Good stuff, bro. That's uh, a more detail compared to the last summarize or brief explanation of yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and I still feel like we haven't done it justice. Oh, there's a <laughs> lot more. Yes, of course. You can spend. We can spend hours, hours, hours and hours and explaining. Hours on it. Yeah. But um, what you just have. Uh, um, you know, given us, mm-hmm. it's more than enough for people to start looking into these things, yeah. studying, and really looking into the context, <clears throat> apocalyptic language, apocalyptic language, right. the, the metaphors, typologies, all these need to be considered. If you want to get understood. a book on it, start with Last Day's Madness by Gary DeMar. Thank you. I was just going to say, let's yeah. give some, you know, sources. But right. that's a good one. Uh, also, the Gennett Gentry book you mentioned. Before Jerusalem Before fell. Before Jerusalem fell. If you want to get the, as far as the date when Revelation was written. Right. Uh, those dolls who hold to a, uh, uh, what was it, AD 90 something, right? Yeah, the AD 90 writing of the book, it doesn't... Work. Right, it doesn't yeah. quite matter. I mean, we believe yeah. it was the 
still before day was 80, 63? 60, well, by 68 for sure. For sure, right, yeah. yeah it's somewhere there. right? 63, yeah. Uh, so if you get that book, I mean, Kenneth Gentry, that brother did an excellent job in, uh, you know, giving the argument for the earlier date. Right. Uh, also, there is plenty of studies you can find out there uh, from called Covenant Scatology, which is what we hold to, you know, more of a preterist uh, understanding of all things fulfilled, meaning the prophecies. And there's a lot of good material. There's folks like, uh, uh, I'm just going to head it, Don Preston is one of them that has good information about that. Uh, there's a bunch of them. If you find Don Preston, there's a whole bunch more that will come up. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll show up a light but uh, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good. R.C. Sproul has R.C. Sproul too. He yeah. has good stuff on it as well. Most definitely, R.C. Like Sproul is another good one. So yeah, yeah, we missed that brother. Yeah, but uh, I do too. Bro, thank you. This was pretty good. You know, we pray that uh, Miss uh, I forgot her name, I Leone, I believe. Uh, again, thank you very much for posting that question. Uh, you know, we, we always welcome, uh, again, questions, critique, uh, you know, arguments against what we're teaching. You know, we, we welcome all that. We like to be able to, you know, come on board on a podcast and be able to explain and from a biblical standpoint. And again, what my brother did right now, basically, let scripture interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we approach you know, our doctrine and theology in our podcast as well. And we try to the best of our ability to present those arguments from a biblical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And again, are we a hundred percent, you know, know everything? Of course no, not. No. You know, we don't nobody knows everything. Nobody knows everything. Nobody has a final say or corner on the eschatology. Um, we're all gonna be wrong on some aspect of it. You know, everybody is. But you've got to get the uh, the basics down. That's the thing. Cool stuff. You can, you, can get, you can get stuck on details, but basically um, the, the eschatology is all about redemption. Yes. And, and then the, the growing of God's kingdom. I mean, that's what's happening now. Amen. We're no, that's kingdom. exactly what's happening. They could go another 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, God's got that in line. And, and the, the things that are happening today are mind-boggling, mm-hmm. to say the least. And it doesn't fit within uh, the left-behind eschatologies right. type of deal. It fits more within uh, a uh, preterist or a... Um, um, post-millennial type of view. Yes, sure does. And um, it's, uh, what I think is happening today, and I'm, I'm going to end because I'm starting to go downhill, not feeling too good, brother. But uh, it's going to be, uh, it, I, I think we're in the middle of a um, political reformation. Mm-hmm. 500 years ago, we had a spiritual reformation. Yeah. Or a theological reformation. Mm-hmm. Today, I think we're having a political reformation where we're sick of the corruption and we want to replace it with a more godly system of government. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that movement. And yes. I'm hoping and praying that that's what's happening. Amen. Good stuff, bro. Yeah. So, summarizing the entire thing, folks, the COVID-19 vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Okay? Just want to throw that one out there. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> we didn't even talk about. We we'll talk. We can talk. We didn't about even talk about that. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, the mark of the beast is also. Um, it has to do with a metaphor of dealing with authority. It doesn't. There's no actual physical mark, right? Or anything that goes in. You know what? Maybe we should. On another podcast, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. that. Yeah, we'll do more we'll detail on that. It, that. As you can see, it takes a lot to go through these because there's a lot to it. It does. It does. So. Well, let's close it out, brother. Thank you, my brother. Well, right. Go ahead. You have the last word, brother. All right. So I get the last word. Remember, get folks, the last keep word, your mind bro. sharp, your heart pure. We'll see you next podcast. We'll catch you on that flip side. You have been listening to the Vortex Apologetic Podcast. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. We want to thank you for tuning in to listen the Vortex Apologetic Podcast. It's a blessing to have you. We hope that you continue to enjoy the future episodes and to tune in and share away with others that might be interested. Uh, I wanted to thank our families for supporting us, especially our wives that uh, they put up with us. They allow us to have time to study and spend time uh, in the Word of God and uh, in return they help us as well and they keep us accountable. It's a blessing to have them in our lives. We want to especially thank them. I uh, also want to thank uh, our church, uh, friends, and uh, the men's study that we have that we continue to encourage, be encouraged about. Uh, we want to thank all these people because they support us and pray for us, and uh, it's a blessing to have in our life. Other than that, I hope you continue to enjoy the Vortex Apologetic Podcast. Uh, we will talk to you soon. More episodes to come your way. Other than that, I'm out. We're out. God bless you. Thank you.